0: Friends, our first scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter three, verses one through 11. Now listen to and hear the word of God. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep. And a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sew, a time to keep silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate a time for war, and a time for peace. What game have the workers from their toil? I have seen the business that God has given to everyone to be busy with. He has made everything suitable for its time. Moreover, he has put a sense of past and future into their minds, yet they cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Here ends our first scripture reading
1: like the text that uh, Ben just read for us from Ecclesiastes. Uh, This text from Romans is also part of the lectionary. If you've been around for a while, you know that I am partial to sermon series, which allows me to pick the scriptures. Today, uh, there's no series, uh, so the lectionary uh, chooses the text for us. And so Ecclesiastes is the first one. The second one is from Romans 13, verses 8 through 14. Continue to listen to God's word to you and to me. Paul says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this single word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone. The day is near. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, break open these words afresh to us this day. Would they speak to us in such a way that we would hear the word we need to hear? That you would move us the way that we need to be moved? And that you'd form us to be more and more like your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our friend, and our brother. Amen. Well, Last Wednesday, uh, Katie and I attended our 10th grade son, Luke, his back-to-school night. Uh, These experiences, I know you're familiar uh, with them. Uh, some of you have gone to back-to-school nights recently, some not so recently, but, but you know the general idea of these nights, why they're designed. It gives parents or guardians an opportunity to go visit the school, to follow a schedule that the student is on, to kind of get the sense of the rhythm of their day. Well, for the final period of our back-to-school night, we had algebra, now, I want you to know I'm a humanities guy. I like philosophy. I like history. I like theology. You need to keep me away from chemistry, calculus, and computer programming. So we're in Luke's math class, and there were a few equations still left up on the whiteboard from earlier in the day. Now, as I spied those equations, I understood that they belong to this sphere we call algebra. I could recognize numbers. I could recognize letters. I could recognize multiplication symbols and division symbols and addition and subtraction symbols. I knew I was looking at a math problem but I was utterly ignorant and lost in my understanding as to how to engage or interpret or solve those equations. In other words, I understood only in part. I understood only in part. I understood that I was looking at algebra. I understood that there were numbers in front of me, that there were symbols in front of me, but I could not comprehend the whole. The, the equation solution, the equation's answer. In the 11th verse of the third chapter of the book of wisdom, we call Ecclesiastes. The author says this, God has put a sense of past and future in the human mind, yet humans cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. God has put a sense of past and future in the human mind, yet human beings cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Here's the connection. When I was in that math class, I had a sense of what I was looking at, right? I recognized the numbers and symbols. I had an awareness that this was an algebraic equation in front of me. Like that, we have this sense as human beings of time. We have a sense of the past, the present, the future. We have a sense of what plays out in the drama of time. We understand and are aware of all the things that the writer of Ecclesiastes names birth and death, planting and plucking, destruction and healing, tears and laughter, mourning and dancing, boundaries and embrace, tearing and sowing, love and hate, war and peace. The writer says that we have an awareness that these take place in the drama of time. But the writer also asserts in verse 11 that human beings cannot fathom the purposes of God within this drama, that our view is limited, that our understanding has a ceiling, that our knowledge is capped. It's akin to me looking at the numbers and the letters on that whiteboard, having a sense of what I was looking at, but having no sense as to how to interpret it, to solve it, to answer for it. I was incompetent in coming up with a solution. And the writer basically says that human beings are helpless in arriving at an understanding of the why. For only the why is understood in the mind of God. We see this sentiment actually repeated throughout the corpus of Scripture. Deuteronomy 29, the secret things belong to God. Isaiah 40, God's understanding no one can fathom. Isaiah 55, for my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways, says the Lord. Job 11, can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? Romans 11, how unsearchable are God's judgments and how inscrutable are God's ways. 1 Corinthians 2, for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to give counsel to God? See, the writer of Ecclesiastes and the biblical witness as a whole is clear on this point. We human beings have a sense of time. We have a sense of what takes place in the drama of time, all that the writer talks about in Ecclesiastes 3, 2 to 8, and so much more. But where we are lacking and where we are limited and where we plainly are incompetent is understanding the eternal why. The eternal why. Why in God's sovereignty did God allow this good thing or this evil thing to happen how does this event or that event fit into God's eternal plan? One of my professors from Princeton Seminary, Dr. Leong Xiao, once said of this text God is responsible for giving both time and eternity, and the human being is caught in the tension between the two. One commentator reflecting on this quote, Said that it's almost like God is planting divine sabotage in us, allowing us to know enough, to being aware enough, but keeping us in the dark of things eternal. I was thinking about another helpful illustration, and this is a Christological one. I think it's like a holy Saturday. Holy Saturday is a day that we don't really mark in the Christian calendar. It's the day maybe we just get ready for Easter Sunday. It's the day between Good Friday and Easter. And Good Friday in this scenario represents time. And and Easter represents that which is eternal. And most of life is lived on Saturday. Being aware of what's happened on Friday, but not fully comprehending of what will take place on Sunday, and that is precisely where life happens. That's where life happens. It happens on Saturday, between the times, between the time of time itself and eternity. We know what's happening. We can see it. We have a sense of it, but we don't understand the fullness of God's plan for all eternity. This uh, was a a difficult week for our family. It was a difficult week for all who had connections to the Morehouse students that were killed and the Lakeside, rather, high school students who were also killed in two separate car wrecks on Labor Day. It was an untenable week for the Douglas family. Hugh Douglas, who was killed in one of those uh, car wrecks, was a junior at Morehouse College and a dear and beloved friend and high school classmate of our son, Johnny. Our hearts continue to break for this family and all of Hugh's friends like Johnny who grieve the death of this incredible young man. I often say that when you hear one of my sermons, you're just overhearing my prayer life. And my prayer life this week, along with Katie's, was quite raw. Why would God allow this to happen? Why did God not intervene? Why did the God who is sovereign, who is all-powerful and all-loving, why did God not do something to preserve Hugh's life? Why? How does this tragic and and gut-wrenching death fit into God's everlasting and presumably good plan? Nicholas Walterstorff is a retired theologian from Yale University, and he lost his son in a a rock-climbing accident when the young man was just 25 years old. Walterstorff wrote a book called Lament for a Son, And in that book, he offered a prayer that I've been praying this week. He said, how is faith to endure, O God? When you allow all this scraping and tearing on us, you've allowed rivers of blood to flow, mountains of suffering to pile up, sobs to become humanity's song, all without lifting a finger that we could see. You've allowed bonds of love beyond number to be painfully snapped If you have not abandoned us, explain yourself. If you're a Christian, or even if you're just a theist, and if you take your faith with even the slightest bit of seriousness, you cannot escape the tension and the dissonance that comes with knowing that we live on Holy Saturday knowing enough to have a sense of what's happening in time, but feeling in the dark when it comes to God's eternal plan. And it's in that place that faith is put to the test. It's in that very place, in that dissonance, where faith is tested The question that we've been asking ourselves as a family is how do we live on Saturday? How do we live between the times? The time of what we have a sense of, of what we feel, of what we know, and the time that we can't even, can't even count, this time called eternity that only God knows. How can faith endure on Holy Saturday. The first word of encouragement that I'm preaching to myself and I would offer to you is to tell the truth, to be honest, to surround yourself with people who tell the truth, who offer more than just platitudes more than just sayings that, oh, it'll get better in time. People who tell the truth about suffering, who tell the truth about our limitations, who tell the truth about our ignorance, who tell the truth about our lack of knowledge when it comes to God's eternal plan. We're truthful about the pain, we're truthful about lament, we're truthful about brokenness, we're truthful about heartbreak. We speak the truth in the midst of chaos. We tell the truth about darkness, about evil and its power in the world. And we see a truth teller in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who told the truth when he wept outside of his friend's tomb when Lazarus was buried, dead, and gone. He told the truth when he prayed in the garden that God would take this cup from him. He told the truth in his final moments when he said, Father, forgive them. And Father, why have you forsaken me? Jesus told the truth about his suffering. He also told the truth about our hope. He told the truth about the promises of God. He told the truth that we would have an advocate, a spirit, his very spirit, to accompany us on the holy Saturdays of life. He told the truth when he said, I'm with you now, even to the end of the age. The second word of encouragement is to pay attention to actually what has been revealed. I did you all a little disservice, a little preacher trick. I only quoted from the first line of Deuteronomy 29, 29, where it says, the secret things belong to God. There's a second part of that text. It says that that the revealed things, however... The revealed things belong to us and our children. That God does reveal God's self in nature. That God does reveal God's self in the law, in the prophets, in the scripture, in intimate moments of prayer, in study and in the life of the mind, and in fellowship and in community together. But the pinnacle of God's revelation is found in and as the person of Jesus Christ. And what has been revealed in Christ is nothing short of this, that God becomes vulnerable and God chooses in divine freedom to join us on Holy Saturday, to be with us and for us, to limit God's own power to be with us and for us in Christ, that God is willing even to endure a crucifixion to be with us And for us. David Brooks, uh, the great writer who writes for The Times, he he told a story a a couple years ago that he heard from Rabbi Elliot Kukla. So the rabbi spoke of a woman from his congregation who had a significant brain injury and who would sometimes, because of that brain injury, even months past it, would fall to the floor. She just would fall right to the ground. And when this would happen, she would say that people would rush to her aid and they would try to get her back on her feet immediately before she had the strength or the orientation or the stamina to do so. She told the rabbi something profound. I think people rush to help me because they're so uncomfortable with seeing an adult lying on the floor. But what I really need is for someone to get down on the ground with me. Friends, that's what God has done for us. God has gotten down on the floor. You know what it's like to be on the floor. That's where God is. That's where God chooses to be even now. God knows suffering. God knows pain. God knows rejection and heartbreak. In Jesus Christ, God lived and died in the age between time and eternity. So the first encouragement is to tell the truth about the suffering, about your limitations. Don't be ignorant of your ignorance. Surround yourself with people who tell you the truth. And don't be afraid to tell the truth of the gifts that you do have that encourage you and equip you in these days. Be honest about holy Saturday. Second, pay attention to what God has in fact revealed when God revealed God's self in Christ, that God gets on the floor with us, that God is with us and for us this time and forevermore. And the final encouragement I'm preaching to myself and I offer to you is to choose to live by love because love never ends. Love never ends. Paul in his letter to the church in Rome reminds the community that they know what time it is. They know what time it is. It's time to love. In the face of our limitations and in the face of our ignorance, when we're living in the shadows of Holy Saturday, it is a choice to be made. Whether we live in resentment, whether we live in bitterness, whether we live in nihilism, whether we live in hedonism, whether we throw up our hands and throw in the towel and say, I have had enough, we can choose a more excellent way. It's the way of Christ. It's the way of love. To first and foremost choose to love God and then choose to love yourself and then choose to love your neighbor, to sacrifice for the one in need to show up on the floor for the one who suffers, to go the second mile when one's journey is impossible, to choose to bear light in the darkness. When living in between the times, when living in the tension and dissonance between time and eternity, church, choose love, because love never ends. Amen.